to stand behind the podium. I hate it. Good to see everybody. How you guys doing? Good. Don't stop me now. Somebody said I should play uh, the Queen song to get it started off. Uh, but only four of you guys know what I'm talking about. So Only the good guys know what I'm talking about. So younger guys, you may not know. I don't know. But it's good to see you guys. Let's start with a prayer. I'm going to have one of you guys stand up and pray for us and get us started. And then we'll uh, get into the lesson. Bro, will you stand in to pray? I thought you said stand up and pray. Well, I want somebody to stand up and pray. Oh, come on, let's do it. Uh, Father God, thank you uh, for allowing all of us to be here today. Um, God, as we just sit and, and listen uh, about the Holy Spirit, Father, please help us to just grow in our depth and understanding of it. Uh, and just how the Spirit can lead us and guide us and move us. And uh, even, even what the purpose of the Spirit is and just how we use, uh, use the Spirit on a day-to-day -day basis. But we thank you for all these things you've given us, the Holy Spirit included. Um, and just for this time that we're here. It's in Christ's name we pray, Father. Amen. 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 Why did you come to this class? I want to know. Why did you come to this class? Had a good title. Had a good title. Come on. Yes. Lacking faith. Lacking faith. Okay. Uh, I came because the Holy Spirit is essential for us being disciples. So why have the Spirit? It's got to be important. Why not learn more about it? Okay. Why not learn more about the Spirit? Yes. Okay, you just scratching your nose. It's like an auction, man. You raise your hand, you bought something already. I mean, you know. Okay. All right, somebody else. Anybody else? Why'd you come to this class? What's up with your faith? How's your faith doing? Tell me a little bit about your faith. How's your faith doing? You want me to do all the work? I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, amen. It's great. Bro, I appreciate your honesty there, honestly. Yes, anybody else? What's going on with your faith? Yes. I'm thirsty for knowledge. Thirsty for knowledge? Yes. Come on, brother. All right. We're together. You together? Yeah. Uh, you thirsty for knowledge, too. Maybe you can soak up some of your knowledge. Yes. My faith needs to be in moving up the spiritual ladder. Okay. More faith. Trusting the Lord rather than pulling back. Okay. Why do you think they have me teach the class? Because I got the greatest faith in the room. No, that's not. Yes. Okay. Okay, okay, that's very good. Yes, sir. Uh, question is, like, move beyond stagnation. Mm. And, you know, actually experience some growth and some fruits of the spirit. And then besides the question, I figured somebody backed out. That's why they had me there. Somebody backed out. I appreciate that. <laughs> Don't come to my house anymore. I just let you know. I know that kid. Baltimore Church is pretty cool. That's pretty pretty cool. I'm with yeah. the Baltimore Church. My name is Scott Davis. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why they had me teach this class either, but I'm going to do the best I can to help us with our faith. I can tell you this. My faith is not perfect. My faith is in struggle mode every single day. I wrestle with my faith. I wrestle with who God is, understanding God. Is God in control? Am I in control? What's going on? Why am I doing what I'm doing? 
God, you have me serving in a way that I never thought I could serve, and yet it's me. And I don't know if you feel that way at times. And um, my faith is always growing, and I'm struggling to be better in my faith, but it's a challenge. And I think if we can't stand up here and be honest, even as ministers, about where we are in our faith, how are we going to help you with your faith, right? And so I struggle like you struggle. I struggle with purity. I struggle with all kinds of stuff every single day. I hate sharing my faith. I hate it. It's one of my least favorite things to do in life is to walk up to a stranger and say, would you like to come to church with me, right? It's scary. It's intimidating. I hate it to death. But I do it. And here's the thing that you'll learn about me in just a little bit. I don't, there's a lot of things that I don't like to do. One of, the, one of my least favorite things to do, I had people walk up to me while I was outside, uh, members of the church who know me. They said, you're sitting down in a corner, right? I said, yeah. You don't like people, do you? I said, where'd you hear that? You've said it in sermons before. I have a real challenge. I hate preaching. It's like one of my least favorite things to do is to be in front of people talking. I'm not a public speaker. That's not my thing. Where my faith resides is in trying to trust God more than I trust myself. And in doing that, I've learned to go beyond uh, the comfort zone, the capacity of who I am, to travel outside of myself and do things, honestly, that I would never, ever, ever do. This is not me. This is not what I like to do. But I do love people. I don't like them very much, but I love them. <laughs> and maybe you can, can relate to that, amen? I love people, but I don't like them all the time. And because I love God and I love people, I will travel outside of my faith and my comfort zone to serve God the best I can. I think that's all we can ask for. So I want to look at two examples of great faith here uh, and can't stop me now. An unyielding faith is really the title of my message today is unyielding faith. Take a look at Mark chapter 5. Let's read together there. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. When you get there, say amen. We got no audio video, no slides. It's old school. All right. It's old school. You may have some trouble. You're looking up here for some, some, some words. You're like, where are the Bible scriptures at? I don't have none. They're in your Bible, amen? Take a look. Open your Bible up and see what it says. Mark chapter 5, verse 20. I saw you. Somebody was looking at where, where the scriptures at? Yeah, there are scriptures up there. Verse 21, old school. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. When one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jairus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Have you ever experienced that? That you're doing the best you can. You've come up with some great solution. You've got, you know, teleprompters and television and all this kind of stuff. And you've got the infomercials telling you this is what you need to do. And instead of getting better, you get worse. And our best understanding gets us in the worst situations. Our best, our worst, our best thinking, rather. And there she was in verse 26. She had suffered a great deal, the Bible says, and in verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought if I could just touch his clothes, I would be healed. Immediately, 
Her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around from the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered. And yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. They said, Why bother the teacher anymore? Man, that must have been disheartening. Overhearing what was said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion with the people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithakum, which means little girl, get up. I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. No coincidence, she'd been bleeding for 12 years, and the child was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. It's a great passage. And we're going to get into this passage on faith and how it applies to us this morning. I think a couple things we need to know about the book of Mark. Mark's writings are very, very quick. Uh, it's quick-paced, and there's a reason for that. There are more miracles in the book of Mark than any other gospel that we look at, and he's writing to Gentile Roman audience undergoing the persecution of Nero. And why this is important is that we find that he takes time to explain over and over again the Jewish traditions because of who he's writing to. The first few chapters of Mark are all about how Jesus is king. But as we get into the latter parts of Mark, it is about how Jesus is, is the Messiah and is on the cross. And so it goes from king to cross. And truly the identity of Christ is revealed not by what he says in the book of Mark, but by what he does. And faith, it's called, Mark is called the book of action. It is Jesus' faith in action. It's no accident that we're talking about Mark and we're talking about faith because our faith also needs to be in action, not in words alone. We identify with our Christianity not by just what we say, but by what we do. Amen? And his true identity is revealed in not what, by what he says, but in what he does. This was the age miracles. And these miracles were undisputed with layers of evidence. Undisputed with layers of evidence. A great example of this is Jairus himself. Jairus is a synagogue ruler. And so he is, uh, uh, it substantiates the miracle that we're talking about. The original structure of the synagogue would vary from synagogue to synagogue, but the common scheme was he was a ruler of the synagogue. He would control the religious services, he would serve as judges of the community, he would uh, serve to, uh, in disputes. He would represent the congregation outside in the larger community, in the local community. And Jairus was a ruler of the Jewish synagogue in Capernaum. And he was a prominent and respected leader of the people. So why is that important? Because it's impossible for Mark to write a fictitious element of such a prominent leader as Jairus. It would bring criticism to the followers of Jesus Christ. 
His contemporaries, there were other people around here, there were other synagogue rulers did not, uh, who did not accept Christianity, never disputed historically what happened to Jairus. No one disputes what happened to Jairus or the accuracy of what should happen. No doubt Jesus and his teachings must have been heretical to the synagogue and to its rulers, but this did not stop Jairus from trying to find Jesus and fix a problem in his life where his daughter was concerned. We often wonder how Christ would penetrate the hardened hearts of the affluent. But Mark shows us the path. Jairus, the synagogue ruler, is desperate. And desperation makes you do desperate things. Though he would not believe on, Jerry, on, on Jesus alone, and certainly Jesus, uh, his whole life was an antithesis of what the synagogue represented. The bottom line is he was willing to step out on faith because he reached a place of de de uh, desperation. And certainly this is unyielding faith. Desperation often brings us to uncommon places of faith, through common places of struggle. That's why we're here. That we too may have prominence, we may have prejudice, we may have all types of different cultural issues, but our common struggle brings us together to a common God can do something about those struggles. Amen? Yeah. Verse 25 says this, and we see Jairus' unyielding faith, but what's interesting is he never gets an opportunity to see that faith lived out. In verse 25, there's a woman that comes in the picture and says, you know, I'm bleeding. And she circumvents what's going on and gets her needs met before Jairus can get his needs met. And there she is. He inter she interrupts what's happening with Jairus. And I think we need to know a little bit about this woman as well. Maybe not uh, uh, to the point of, uh, of, of understanding all things about her, but the truth of the matter is uh, when we look at this woman, there's a few things that we know. She's going across in this situation and... We have to understand that she's a woman in, in, in Jewish society, in Jewish culture, in the Hebraic society, and what's going on is that she's not respected. And maybe not now, but at some point, all of us reach a position. We reach a place, a station of life, where we cannot control the things in our life, where things are out of control. And we'll have to fall to our knees and beg God for help. And we won't be able to approach these new challenges with the same old faith. We're going to have to approach them with a new kind of faith. And man's futility is God's opportunity. Man's futility is God's opportunity. And here's the first point. Unyielding faith. The first thing that we need to do is not take no from someone that doesn't have the authority to say yes. In my training as a manager in the world, I would always train my employees in this. That when you're negotiating something, you don't take no from someone that doesn't have the authority to say yes. Well, I was talking to this person, and then they said I couldn't get cable. Did they have the authority to say yes? I don't know. Well, you talk to the person that has the authority to take yes to say yes before you take no from that person. Because if they can't say yes in the first place, then why would you take no from them? And the thing that we see about Jerry is he's unwilling to take no. From someone that doesn't, isn't willing or rather doesn't have the authority to say yes. We have to take a risky and let our faith be risky. Verse 30 says this, that once Jesus realized the power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? This woman had been searching. She'd been going to doctors. She'd been seeking out opportunities uh, to get healed. But she was unwilling to take a no from somebody they didn't have the authority to say yes. How about you? Wow. I think we give up too easily. 
And one of the things we have to understand is that we don't have to give up. We need to go to Jesus who has the authority to say yes. Not everyone in our lives has that authority to say yes. And I love what it says here. It says, at once she realized the power, he realized power had gone out from him, and he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched me? This is the first time that the Greek word dunamis is used. And it's the word that we get the English word dynamite from. And we see it. It says it's used in the book of Mark. And that Jesus had a sensation of weakness when his body was drained of some form of power as he healed this woman. When I was a kid, we uh, would play around with, with sticks of uh, uh, firecrackers and fireworks and some other things. But we had a group of friends in my neighborhood who would do some illegal things. And that wasn't me. I just followed along. And so they would... There was a train that stopped in the Pikesville area of Baltimore back in the day, back in the 80s, at, or the 70s, or whatever it was. And so they would actually, as the train rested at night, they would get on the train and steal the local fireworks from the train and bring them into the neighborhood. And uh, one day, one of my friends stole what was considered a blockbuster. I don't know if you know what that is. But back in the day, it's not what it is today. A blockbuster was a quarter stick of dynamite. They sold it to kids to play around with. This is what we considered fun. This was fun. And so he stole a quarter stick of dynamite off the train. And he called me and said, bro, I got this quarter stick of dynamite. I got a blockbuster. They weren't, hard. They weren't easy to get. He said, we're going to take this thing. We're going to blow something up. I was like, oh, I can't wait. And so he couldn't wait for me. And one day he was in the house, and I heard something. We heard I lived two blocks away from this guy. Boom! My house shook. The sewer shook. The toilet shook in my house. I called him, what happened? He said, I took the blockbuster, and I threw it down the sewer. That's what he had done. Jesus could distinguish the difference between someone touching him with faith and someone just touching him. Is your faith a firecracker or is it dynamite? Jesus could know in a crowd that someone touched him with faith and someone was just rubbing up against him who was religious. Someone was coming to church to sing some worship songs and someone was coming to get changed. There was a difference. Who are you this morning? Are you just a person of faith? Or are you a person, or are you a person of faith? Or is the person just coming to church? Someone with faith means that our cultural norms don't determine how we're going to chase after Christ. And we got to understand this woman, being a woman in Jewish culture, the Hebraic laws separated her from so many different things. I mean, she, uh, as a woman, was a second-class Jew. She was excluded from worship and teaching of God. Her status was scarcely better than a slave. This bleeding that she suffered in Leviticus 15 says it would have excluded her from social contact. And if she touched someone bleeding, they would be considered unclean as well as she touched Jesus. And all of these things that were going on in her life that would preclude her from society and having a relationship with God, she didn't allow that to separate her from touching Christ. She said, I want to touch him. My faith that I have is going to make me whole. We feel sometimes our problems get in the way of us having the relationship with God that we need to have. And what she says, my problems won't deter me from knowing who God is. Wow. And you think of all the obstacles that she had. And she said social culture and problems and all those different issues and all the things that men, the status and prejudice that exist. I'm going to get out and touch my God. 
That's the kind of faith that we need. It was an unyielding faith. And she didn't get permission. No one told her she could do it. She was unwilling to take a no from people that didn't have the authority to say yes. What's going on with you this morning? I heard you. We all struggle with faith. I've had some real challenges in my ministry, in my life. Had some good friends of mine that have left the church. It hurts. Been faith draining to see people that I love that are no longer part of the fellowship. Been crying tears of sadness and wondering, where is God through all this? People have been around so long, what's going on? And maybe you've gone through your own struggles. I remember a time that my wife and I, we were going through a, another difficult time. My brother still suffers with, he was on a mission team to uh, Nairobi. He still suffers with paralysis and, and, and seizures. And, and it's been almost 30 years since he got back. Serves in the full-time ministry. And there have been times when he's taken eight months to three years to recover from bouts of paralysis just to go back so he can preach in the ministry of God. And I remember he was going through the, a really rough patch. And we emptied our savings account so he could see doctors and different people. This was about 10 years ago. And then my daughter was having some challenges. My mom was sick with cancer. My dad was dying of mesothelioma. And we were flying back and forth to California. And we just depleted all of our savings. Now, when you've got kids that are sick, relatives that are sick, your parents that are aging, my mom had dementia. And I'm thinking, God, where are you? This is rough. Remember, we got, I'm in the ministry. I'm supposed to have the greatest faith. And we got home one day and we had gone out and we were serving and we were meeting needs and our bank account is on zero at this point. And you, can, you can't even tell your church that because you're supposed to be fiscally responsible as the minister of God. Amen? Right? But we're home and we're broke. My wife and I looked at each other. We looked in the cabin and said, you know, we're meeting some real needs here. And I know God's going to be working. And she went upstairs and started praying. I didn't even know she was praying. I just know she had gone upstairs. And I went into the computer room to worry. And I'm looking at, I'm looking at Mint. I don't know if you had that program or Microsoft or Quicken or something. I'm looking at where the button. I'm like, we got it. There's got to be a dollar in here somewhere, right? She's praying. I'm worrying. And you know what she was praying about? There was no food in our refrigerator. I'm in a full-time ministry. Working for God, depleted my savings, taking care of my family. I got no food. And I got a phone call. Now, this is no exaggeration. I can't make this stuff up. She's praying. I'm in there worrying. Phone rings. Scott, what are you doing right now? Just got home. So, you, you got a big car? So what are you talking about? I need you to come down to... to uh, uh, Trader Joe's and pick up some food. I said, Derek? He said, yeah, yeah, I'm the manager for Trader Joe's. I said, I know. I said, what's happening? Uh, some, some electricity went out. We have some food here that we got to get rid of. I need you to come down and get it. <laughs> I said, what? My wife comes downstairs. I said, what are you doing? 
said, I just got a call from Derek. He wants me to come down to Trader Joe's and get some food because the electricity went out in the store. She said, you know what? I was just upstairs praying. I was praying that God would do a miracle and give us some food. Oh, wow. Wait a minute. You, you don't get it. I get my little minivan. I get to Trader Joe's. And when I get there, he's standing outside. He says, that's not going to do it, bro. <laughs> the whole store is out. Someone hit a transformer down the block and knocked out the electricity. The store is out. We got to get rid of all the food in the whole store. 50 loaves of bread, 60 gallons of milk, steak, the whole freezers. They were giving all of it to me. I went home. I said, I'll be right back. I went home and called some people. I said, I need to rent a, a, a minivan or something. I need to rent a truck. We went and got a truck. We filled the truck up with all the food. We drove back home. I called the Brooklyn Ministry of 400. I called my ministry, everybody in my ministry of 350. I called Long Island, 150 people. I said, you've got to come to my house. Is there anyone in your, in your ministry that needs food? Because I have an overabundance of food that I got to get rid of today. We had 60 gallons of milk sitting in my living room, 50 loaves of bread, meat, steak. It was crazy. And I'm sitting there saying, you don't take no from someone that doesn't have the authority to give you a yes. You just don't. God said yes. He says it in abundance. A week later, I got another call. Mm. <laughs> it was Trader Joe's. They replaced the transformer and went out again. They called me, same thing. We rented a truck, got some more food. I had people coming in from all over New York, taking grapes out of my living room. It was crazy. Bananas, I had bananas stacked up. You don't take no. From someone that have the authority to say yes. My faith was weak, but this is what I knew. This is what I realized. I can't do this on my own. And what I decided was, God, this is you. I'm just going to give this to you. You do something great. And the initiator of that, the instigator of that was my wife. Man, she was praying. She was so faithful. She's just... I know God's going to do something great. He's so amazing. I'm sitting there like, yeah, 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 let me check the balance sheet. <laughs> but he did exactly that. Point number two. Say yes to Jesus' authority when others say no. Don't take a note from someone who doesn't have the authority to say yes, but say yes to Jesus' authority when everyone around you says no. Verse 35. Let's look at verse 35. Again, don't look up here. There's nothing up here. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe, in verse 36. Now watch this. Jesus' words after death of Jairus' daughter affirms that even in hopelessness, he can do things that are great. That's what we learn. Even the hopeless states, God can do something that's great. Don't give up. And look what they said. Don't bother the teacher. Don't be afraid. Just believe, he says. In verse 37, he says this, and I love this. He did not let anyone except Peter, James, and John and the brother James come into the room when they 
came home from the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with the people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. Verse 40. But they laughed at him. After he put them out. You see that? They laughed at him. And he says, well, after he put them out. I say, well, I had to read that five times. Jesus don't play. They laughed at him. And they said, no problem. Y'all get out. I'm going to keep the faithful. They're going to be present. I'm going to do something that's really amazing. He says, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kuhn. And the little girl got up, and she was healed. Verse 40 says, they laughed at him, and he put them out. Your ridicule, unbelief, can prevent you from being present and the recipient and the beneficiary of Christ's miracles and forgiveness. That's what I've learned. My ridicule, my unbelief, can prevent me from being a recipient and beneficiary of what Christ is going to do in my life. Sure, they were witnesses after the fact. It's one thing to see the walking dead after they've been raised. And some level of faith occurs certainly because you've witnessed that. But it's another thing to be present in the room to see the miracle. It's one thing to get the grapes from my house, right? You, I, you show up, you get some grapes, I give them to you. You say, well, that's really cool. It's another thing to get the phone call. From Trader Joe's and have to go pick up the grapes yourself and know what God has done. It does something different to your faith to be present in the room. Oh my gosh, you hear what I'm saying? And often all we are are recipients of somebody else's great miracle rather than allowing us ourselves to be present when the miracle occurs. You got to stay steadfast to be there. You got to wait it out. To see that happen. You can't leave whenever, when there are bumps in the, in the road or challenges. God's going to do something great, but you've got to be patient. Being present in the room and connected to Christ, you know, this is where those things happen. And so many times we, in our faith, we, we get challenged. And then we feel like, and I can't wait around for this. One was bleeding and injurious. We see two types of faith. We see an aggressive faith. One that took risks, and we see a faith that waits, one that's patient. Both of these are unyielding faiths at different times. Sometimes you need to have the faith that waits. It just waits on God because he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. I know the daughter seems dead, but he's coming. He's going to be there and do something miraculous, and you just need to wait. And sometimes you need to be the person that pushes an aggressive faith, that pushes through the crowd and touches Christ, even though no one thinks anything will happen. And we see both an aggressive faith and we see a faith that's patient, that waits. And we need both at different times. But both of them take total and utter surrender. Both require trust and surrender and submission to Christ's authority and power. Many would have ridiculed Jesus uh, and, and leave him, and, 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 but we don't understand that this is where the transformation takes place. Rather than not have Jesus, then have, uh, I'm sorry, some would rather leave Jesus and not pay the price for change. What is the price of healing? What is the price of transformation? What is ultimately the price of change? It's in verse 30. And once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? 
I don't know about you, my mind quickly wanders to, is Jesus really omnipotent? Is he really, does he, is he all-powerful? I mean, power runs out from him. Does that mean he can be depleted of power? Is he like, uh, I'm sorry, i got to go there. But uh, for those who, who know anything about anime and, and cartoons and, and comic books, uh, you probably don't know enough. So I'm going to educate you in just a second. <laughs> so the first anime in the U.S. was? We don't, you don't know. Okay, so I'm going to tell you. You may know. But one of the first ones was Tobar the Ape Man. The other one was Ultraman, which is a live action type of anime that they had. And then you had Marine Boy. You remember? Speed Racer was another one. But Tobar was probably the first one. Now, now that you got that, this is spiritual stuff. Hold on to this. This is important. All right, so you got Tobar, you got, but Ultraman, Ultraman, you, anybody know who Ultraman is? Ultraman's important. Ultraman is important to the spiritual realm of Christianity, and if you don't know what happens with Ultraman, you're going to learn in just a second. So Ultraman would fight monsters. That's what he did. He fought monsters all the time. But he would be depleted of energy. And when he got depleted of energy, what did he do? Well, he was solar powered. And so he would fly up to the sun, S-U-N. He would recharge all of his power. Then he'd come back. Fighting more monsters, he's doing his thing, and he would win. He kicked butt. We too are solar power, not by the S U N, but by the S O N. And so when we get depleted of power, we recharge in God, Amen, in our faith, and then we can deal with all the challenges that we have. Jesus was being depleted, but not in the same way that we think, and the depletion was conscious. Our depletion is not conscious. We can make a decision of our own volition, and so we lose power, but we don't control whether the power leaves our body or not. In Jesus' case, he's deciding to allow his power to leave for our benefit. You need to understand this. This is really important. Jesus is deciding to allow that power to leave. And our minds quickly wander, thinking, well, maybe he's not all-powerful. Maybe he can't do this. The better use of the investigative powers that we have is to recognize that healing has a price. And so Jesus is allowing the power to leave because he wants us to understand that healing has a price. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah 53, verse 5. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds you are healed. What Jesus wants us to recognize, the reason the power is leaving his body of his own volition, and he's deciding to allow that because he wants us to recognize that healing ultimately has a price. And when Jesus goes to the cross, he gives his life and his power for the benefit of our healing and redemption, and there is price for that. His death for our salvation. It's not that Jesus is not omnipotent. It's not that he's not all-powerful. He wants us to understand there's a cost. If we're going to be healed, he had to die. And if we're going to have faith, guess who else has to die? Us. We have to surrender. We have to submit. 
And we have to give all that we have to Christ. Faith is an absolute. I want to tell you something maybe no one's ever told you before. It's an absolute. Did you know that? The realm of faith, you have faith. You have 100% of the faith that you need to do everything that you need to accomplish. The issue is where you put it. It's there. Whether you put it in education, or you put it in career, or you put it in your wife, or you put it in a trust, or you put it in your money, you just you have to take what you, the absolute faith that God has given you, and now you have to put it in Jesus Christ. Amen. And what I've learned is, for me, that I'm a weak man. And this is my biggest strength. I tell myself every day I cannot do it, but you can, God. I can't stand in front of people and preach, but you can. I can't share my faith, but you can. I can't open my mouth and say what needs to be said to help people know you, but you can. I don't know what to do to raise my kids because they're crazy. <laughs> but Lord, you can. I'm trusting you. I don't trust me. Because my best thinking has gotten me in the worst situations. But God, I trust you. And so I'm giving this to you. To me, that's an easy thing. And you've messed up as much as I have. You want somebody else to drive the car. Right? Why you keep getting in the car driving it when you keep running off the rails and down the embankment into a tree? You ever see that cartoon? With the cartoon character at that point, he's got two X's on his eyes and he's just sitting out like this. At some point you just say, I'm not driving anymore. Give the reins over to somebody else. Don't take no from someone that didn't have the authority to say yes. And say Jesus, say yes to Jesus, who has the authority. He always has to say, say yes to the authority of Jesus rather when others around you say no. Have an aggressive faith, one that takes risks. And a faith that is patient and knows when to wait. Put your trust in Christ. And to God be the glory. Amen. Um, I wanted to make sure I ended early. I think I ended pretty early, right? Supposed to go to 4 o'clock. I did want to do this. Uh, I want to take a few questions. If you had some questions and some thoughts. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, it did. Yes, it did. Because I'd probably still be collecting food by now. <laughs> it did get fixed. Yes. Any other questions? Too bad that it's not in Virginia Beach because I could have had to get a load of it. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was in New York. And, and, and what we learn about New York City is it's a great city. Uh, they don't fix things very quickly. So. <laughs> Well, yes and no. I think that uh, if you've got something going on like sin, like a consistent perpetual sin or something different than that, or just something, something internal. External. Gotcha. Yeah, if you could, I'm, yeah, I'm dealing with the divorce. Gotcha.
not just me that's having to suffer when I have three kids. That's right. Yeah. And so they are suffering. I'm talking to my, to my sons, 10 years old and 8 years old. And if it was just me, I think it would be easy to kind of deal with. That's right. I'm dealing with their mm-hmm. pain. And it's not just, okay, this is going on three years. That's, again, in the big scheme of things, you know, it's compared to that long. But it gets hard. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for sharing that. That is uh, that's real, and um, and I don't know that I have an answer outside of what I've talked about. But um, you know, I uh, recently I was in Panama. I'll share this with you. And uh, I had a very contentious relationship with one of the brothers that was there. Uh, he left. He was in my ministry. Uh, we would been training him and working with him. He left the church back in 2006 to be a part of Kip's movement. He became Kip's right-hand man. I mean, right-hand man. And uh, it was such a contentious breakup, a relationship, a friendship. It's one of those things where you are crushed and hurt and everyone's looking at you act like, what did you do wrong? It's got to be your fault. You know, here, here's a good guy that he's been around a long time, but he decided to be a part of that movement. And, and uh, lo and behold, I get to Panama. He's there with our fellowship of churches. He's left Kip's movement, decided to be a part of our fellowship of churches again. He's leading a church. And he grabs me, and he starts to make apologies and to make apologies to others. He's called churches that he's been affiliated with for years. And the reason I'm sharing that is it was a great lesson for me that there was nothing I could can do to control that situation. I just had to wait. And I prayed. And I wasn't faithful about the relationship. It's not like I prayed every day that God would heal it. But God did heal it. And um, I think there are times when you have to be patient. You have to continue to live out your discipleship, live out your Christianity, live out the way that God wants you to live, and trust that God is going to work. And I don't know how he's going to do that. I really don't know how he's going to do that in your situation. But I trust him. I don't trust me. And I know that if I try to do it, I try to do it. I try to make us friends. I try to... We're going to reconcile. We're going to fix this. We're going to, we're going to follow the Bible. And, and, and it didn't work. But God worked on him. And I think that we're going to have an amazing friendship again. But I had to wait. And I had to be patient. So I don't know if that helps or not, but I hope it, hope it does. So, Yes? And I, I, I made the example I shared with Sam Langdon. First of all, I want to I thank you for the uh, lesson. I, I think the blockbuster was a good way of uh, exploding, you know, yeah. it was funny, it just shows the example that, you know, if you pray, you definitely doubt, and my, my faith is not the greatest in the world right now, you know, just with the, um, over the last two years, I brought in a brother, did him wrong, and having him come in and move, move the house, I'm living now, and over the last year or so, it's just been contentious, you know, it's right. like, hey, I've just been, there's just one verbal lashing after another, challenging my faith, you know, like, even, 
I, I even doubted whether or not to even come to this conference. Well, I, I mean, just even financially, can I make it? Can I do this? You know, I didn't know how I was going to get a ride here. I just okay. I'm just going to take my pay, pay the money, take a lift down here, spend twenty dollars, twenty twenty-five dollars on a lift, and go for it. You How's know? it been? It, so it's far, good because I mean, Bob, Bob Shane's lesson was great. Yeah, you know, in his very room, and now this one is. And it's just, it, I, I work with a partner on my job. She's a lot more spiritual. I am. She's not even part of our fellowship. She's one of a part of a fellowship here, in one of the fellowships in town. And I can tell you right now, her faith is so strong. I think it would put a lot of us to shame. Hmm. It even puts me to shame. And I've even shared with my roommates. This woman's faith has put me to shame. You know, like, hey, Steve, you gotta trust God, pray, and you know, you gotta let and let God work it out. Let me let me just share one thing that I, I want to leave you guys with. We'll close. I'll, I'll hang around if you want to talk some more. Uh, that illness of my brother rocked my faith. Him going to Africa, being on a mission team for the kingdom of God, coming back sick, paralyzed, hurt my faith a lot. And what I've learned is, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that what I can't change with my hands, I can change on my knees. I think that what I want to leave you with is that faith realized and practical is about praying like we have never prayed to ask God to do things that we've never seen done. And um, that has become my life. I think the thing that I do more than anything else from that time with my wife is that I pray. I pray a lot. I spend almost an hour every day praying. That is the one thing I can say. It's not like it's the panacea, but I believe that God is God. And what you can't change, it's a Scott Davis quote. Don't let anybody else tell you they made that up. What you can't change with your hands you change on your knees. And I spend a lot of time praying. I don't know if I do anything else well, but that I do a lot. So amen. Let's close out. I'll hang around if you guys want to continue to talk. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being part of this. Amen.